And I think there's a sense in which we know it's good. This psalm says it's a good thing. And, and when we come to church, we know this is, this is good. But what do we mean even when we say that it's good? Because um, there's different ways that when you say something's good, it, it means, right? Like, like when you're a kid, uh, you may probably know that it's good to eat your vegetables, right? Like, that doesn't mean you like it. <laughs> but it's good for you. So you hopefully do it. Um, I like vegetables now, it's great. So uh, when I say I like, it's good to eat vegetables, I enjoy it, especially potatoes, like you guys know. And, um, but then you might also say, right, it's good to brush your teeth, all right? I don't know that many people who really enjoy brushing their teeth, like, just love it. Um, I, I think you love the effects of it, right? And, and not going to the dentist, and it, it's good for you. If you don't do it, there's, there's consequences, but I don't think you necessarily really enjoy it. And we can say other things are, are good, right? Like it's good to pay your taxes. Um, it's your duty, right? There's an, there's an obligation. You, when we say it's good, we kind of mean it's right. Again, there's probably not that many people that really enjoy that <laughs> like, and really look forward to that. But we say it's, it's good. But in this psalm, when the psalmist is saying it's good to give thanks, I don't think he's saying it's good for me. I'll, I'll do it because it's good for me or He's not even necessarily saying it's good to praise God because it's my duty, because it's right, even though it is. What he's really saying is that he loves to praise God. When he's saying it's good, he's saying it's actually enjoyable. And this psalm, um, if you have it in your, in your Bible, when you read it, the, the heading of it actually says that it's a, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Um, and there's no other psalm that, that says that, that this psalm is dedicated as a song particularly to sing on a Sabbath day, which for the, for the Jews when this was written would have been a, a Saturday for us, and, and we don't have a, a strict Sabbath as Christians, but we gather for worship on the day Jesus rose, on, on Sunday, so this is in a sense our, our Sabbath, and um, this is someone on the Sabbath praising God because they want to, because they enjoy it, because they like it. When he's saying it's good, he's actually saying it's good more kind of like we would say it's good to go to the beach, it's great, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's restful. Uh, it, it's wonderful. That's how he's talking about praise. Um, we'll read these verses again. It says, It is good to give thanks to you, Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, 
For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands, I sing for joy. This is not someone talking about praising God like brushing their teeth is good, right? This is not someone saying it's good to praise God so that you don't get on God's bad side. Like, you better praise God, right? Like, that's not at all. This is someone saying, I love praising God. It's the best. It's one of the things I love doing most. It makes me glad. It fills me with joy. Um, The message translation kind of picks this up a bit better even. It says, what a beautiful thing, God, to give thanks. Goes on, and the last verse says, you make me so happy, God. I saw your work, and I shouted for joy. Uh, That's this picture of of praise and joy in God. And and, um, basically what we see is that actually it's good. And when we say it's good, we're actually saying it's enjoyable to praise God. It's supposed to be enjoyable and a delight. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church or in the in history of Christianity, we maybe have sort of missed those. And sometimes we can just so emphasize it's our duty or it's it's right or or God must be praised because He's God. Doesn't matter how you feel. But what we see here is actually what someone praising God as an expression of joy and thanks and delight in God. Because that's really what praise is. Praise is actually something that happens quite naturally when you enjoy something, when you delight in something. So when you go to the beach and it's a beautiful day, you naturally start to tell people, it was so beautiful. It's so great today. How awesome is this water? Like, it's so nice. Like, that's praise. Right. That, that's, and, and it's something that happens all the time. Um, we, we praise all sorts of things. And actually, when, when you praise, you're really just showing what you value and what you delight in. Um, and there is a need, right, to, and there is a command, really, to, to praise God because He is God and He is worthy. And there is a duty that's a part of it. But really, what honors God most is actually delighting in Him and actually valuing Him. Because if we say, I'll come and praise you, God, but I'd really rather be at the beach, <laughs> like, that doesn't really honor God. Whereas we're all here on a Sunday morning, again, it's not great weather for the beach, right? But you can be in bed still, right? Like, or you could be watching a movie. Or it could be somewhere else. But a lot of people are just enjoying the weekend on a Sunday morning. But why are we here singing songs to God? Because it's good. It's actually the best. It's actually something to enjoy. And, and if we do that, we actually show that He is of great worth. He's valuable. Um, Sam Storms um, is an author who writes a lot on this, and he says it this way. God is praised when he is prized. Understanding God is but a means to enjoying God. If you want to elevate God, celebrate God, treasure him, prize him, delight in him, enjoy him. In doing so, you magnify him. You show him to be the most wonderful and sweet and all-sufficient being in the universe. Enjoying God is not a momentary diversion from more important responsibilities you have as a Christian. Enjoying God is not a means to a higher end. This is the end. Enjoying is not a pathway to the pinnacle. It is the pinnacle, the purpose for which you and I live. It's interesting because, again, we might not sort of think of that as the purpose of life. We might say the purpose of life is to praise God or is to worship God, is to honor God, is to obey God. But what this author, and we'll see another, is saying is actually these two things are linked. To praise God is an expression of enjoying God. 
C.S. Lewis puts this really bluntly, um, commenting on the, the, this famous phrase in the Scottish Catechism. He says, the Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's a famous church document. It says, the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But Lewis says, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. C.S. Lewis, I've mentioned this before, but he has a great chapter um, in a book called The Reflection on the Psalms where he's grappling with this idea that God t- keeps telling us to praise Him. Like, why does God want us to praise Him so much? It, if, if I went around wanting people to praise me, it would look really bad. It'd be weird. All right. But, but God does it all the time. He commands people to praise Him. Is it just that God needs praise for some reason? But he says, no, it's, it's really the opposite. God is the most joyful, enjoyable being, and he wants people to see that and enjoy him and delight in him. And that actually shows that he is the most valuable. He wants to share his goodness. And what we see in this psalmist is not just someone who's seeking to honor God, but they're actually giving greater honor to God by delighting in God, by enjoying God, by valuing him. And as it says, that he is the most high. He is the highest one. He is the best one. He is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And I think it can be easy, and and again, for me too, that we can sometimes just take God for granted. Uh, We get familiar with Him or just get stuck in a a habit or a duty that that we do our Christian service but without joy. Uh, But actually, we're called to enjoy Him um, and to celebrate Him. And what we see going on, I think, is that if we don't, we're really, our hearts desire joy, right? We do the things that we enjoy. Um, we, we're designed, and we're designed ultimately to find that joy in God. And any good thing that we enjoy is, is a reflection of Him. Ultimately, that's meant to point us back to Him. Um, but if we don't find it in Him, we'll often go and look for it in other things. Um, but when we do find it in Him, we see that other things won't satisfy. They're, they're temporary compared to Him. In Psalm 92, the, the psalmist is in this place of enjoying God and celebrating God. And then it goes on and says this, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid, or the NIV said, senseless man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. So the psalmist is, is thinking about how good it is to praise God, how great God is, how amazing and deep God's thoughts. And then he starts to think about people who are outside of God, who he calls the wicked, those who reject God or ignore God, dismiss God, aren't interested in God. And starts to actually think about the fact that some of them seem to have pretty good lives. There's, there's people who aren't interested in God, and they're flourishing. And there's, this is sometimes a problem for, for psalmists. They're like, we're here serving God, but there's all these people who aren't, and they seem to have good lives. Like, how does that make any sense? He starts to talk about how they're, they're, they're flourishing like grass and sprouting up. But then he recognizes that this flourishing is just so temporary compared to God, who is exalted and on high forever. The psalmist is really celebrating, I think, two things. One is just the end of evil, 
that, that, that there is evil at work in the world that God will deal with because he's exalted and on high and he will renew the world. But he, the psalmist is also recognizing that a life without God is actually not to be desired, even when people seem to be temporary flourishing. He's starting to see that all joys and flourishing outside of him, outside of the Lord, are temporary and futile. Because God gives lots of good things. And if there's something that, that you like and enjoy and it's good, it's a gift from God. It comes from him. And it's good to enjoy it, but not as an end in itself. But then that even becomes a way to give thanks and praise and to experience God's goodness as well. These are good things to enjoy. But sadly, there are many people, and all of us at, at one stage or in many stages, uh, just take God's stuff and forget him have been given life by Him, have been given blessings by Him, have been given breath by Him, but either forget Him or ignore Him or totally reject and despise Him, and they seem to do well in life. They actually seem to prosper, maybe materially, maybe with their family, maybe even there's a sense that sometimes followers of Jesus and believers could be envious of people and the life that they have, even though they've rejected God. They may appear to be flourishing, but when we enter praise and recognize and prize God, who is exalted on high, we recognize that any flourishing outside of him is just absolutely temporal. It's so fragile. And that's what this psalmist is saying. He's saying, yes, they sprout up like grass. It's so fragile. It's so short, and it will disappear. But he contrasts it to the Lord, who is on high forever, who will be exalted forever. It's a great perspective because it's easy, so easy for us just to be sucked into just seeking to enjoy temporary things in life. But when we really think about it in the context of the Lord and eternity, our life without Him makes no sense. It's interesting even to think about what, what maybe are things that you enjoy doing or would like to be doing or, or, or what, what you enjoy most. I was even thinking about this for myself um, I love running. It's one of the things that I most enjoy doing, and it's where I feel rested. It's where I have fun out in the, in the bush. Um, it's, it's a challenge. It's an excitement, and it's a gift from God, and it's a way that I really enjoy and, and worship God. But if I was to reject God and just put all my energy into enjoying running and, and celebrating running and, and achieving and just making it my dream and my goal and just making it happen, Maybe it'd be awesome for like 10 years. And then the older I get, the harder it will get. Eventually I won't be able to do it anymore. And then I'll die. And it's gone. And like if that was my life, like this, there could be some temporary flourishing and joy, but it would be so, so temporary. And so when the Lord and, and God, when, when He calls us to praise Him and to recognize Him as ultimate, it's not Him saying, don't go enjoy all the things that I made. Just, just enjoy me. You're not supposed to have joy. It's not that. He's saying, don't spend all your time on temporal joys that are going to disappear. Seek the eternal joy. Seek the joy that won't be lost. And it's actually interesting, even when Jesus um, commands us to do things, it's not so that we won't have joy. It's so that we will have the greatest joy. When Jesus says, don't seek treasures on earth, he says, because they're just going to disappear. Seek treasures in heaven. They won't disappear. Like, it's actually, there's a greater joy. When Jesus says to follow him and abide in him and follow his ways, he says, so that your joy may be 
full. Uh, actually, joy outside of God is possible, but it's so temporary, whereas in Him is eternal, and it will last. And there's this greater greatness in knowing that nothing can even take it away. It's not so fragile. So this psalmist from this place of praise and singing and enjoying God then also has this clarity and recognizes that, that those without him, even though they're flourishing, that they're not to be envied, right? That actually, um, he, God is worth above, above, has of greater worth than everything else. He is the greatest joy. And any secondary joy can be reflected back to him in praise. So he's talking about this and, and sort of having this perspective and then, then goes on to start to talk about um, benefits that he's received from, from the Lord and from following his ways and, and living in him. Uh, so we're going to go through um, some of these, and there's just a lot of metaphors, so we'll go, go through it and sort of unpack it. So he says this, But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. So there's a few different pictures here that are probably a bit strange, but I'll ex- explain them. But really... This, the, the psalm has a lot of contrasts of going up and down, right? So God is the most high, he's, he's, he, as we sung before. And then he talks about those without God flourishing, going up. But, but God will be exalted forever. And now he's talking about how because God's exalted forever, God's going to exalt him and lift him up as well. It's this, this picture of looking up and God bringing him up. And there's this metaphor of an exalted horn, um, which it's not really words that we would, we would use, but the, the picture and the symbolism is of um, what the text says is a wild ox or like a, a strong animal with like big horns, right, is what you'd picture. And really to picture that they've just like won a battle, like whatever they have like their horn battles and like charge each other and then this one is victorious and then in a show of victory like lifts up its horn, like dominates, like... That's kind of the, the, the symbol. It's this symbol of strength and, and victory. And the psalmist saying, God, you've exalted my horn. You've given me this sense of strength and, and victory that comes from you. And then this symbolism of oil is this picture of refreshment and, and anointing, which is God's purpose and call and, and God's presence, which again, the oil comes down. So God is exalted and he's, he's lifting up the psalmist and he's pouring oil on him. As this, as this picture. And then it goes on and then starts to talk even more about the flourishing that's available. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. So again, more metaphors and word pictures. These are kind of the agricultural tree pictures that are really common in the Bible. Um, of a palm, saying those who are, are righteous, who, who trust, follow Jesus, who are in right relationship with God, are like a palm tree. And a palm tree is this, again, a picture of, of strength, but also of uprightness and, and grace, um, and even of flourishing, even in difficulty, because a palm tree can survive in lots of different places and even sustain high winds as, as well. And um, so uh, he's saying, this is what those who are in God are, are like. It's this, there's this strength and, and grace. And, and a, a cedar is this strong tree with, with deep roots and, and trunks that might be in a, a forest and is, 
is majestic. So a lot of these pictures are around strength and, and flourishing. And then he takes these pictures and says, so basically believers are like palm trees and cedars, but they're planted in the temple, um, effectively is what he's saying. Um, it's this picture of freshness and fruitfulness, that these trees um, are growing strong in no matter what their circumstances are because of their foundation, which is in God's presence. And we see this symbolism through the Psalms. It's even in Psalm 1. Um, it's in Jeremiah. It's in different places. Of, of If you're rooted and grounded and dwelling in God, you can be nourished and fruitful no matter what. It's this picture of freshness and fruitfulness. And ultimately, the benefits he's receiving is because of who his God is, and the place that God has impacts the place that he has. It's really that as he is lifted up, the Lord is lifted up, we are lifted up and flourish in his presence. God is on high. He has strength and energy and no lack. So when we're connected to him, we gain those benefits. So the psalmist, his strength and victory, his authority that comes from the oil of anointing, his growth and fruitfulness doesn't come from himself. It comes from being connected to God, who is above everything. So there's actually a strength available that is not at all dependent on his own ability, uh, not at all dependent on the, the power of his enemies. It's totally dependent upon God. And again, we, we see this um, particularly in David, um, obviously in the story of David and, and Goliath. Uh, the, the, David is not intimidated by Goliath. David is not worried about his own weakness. He's just aware that God is higher. God is bigger. God has power and strength. And that's where his focus is. And it, it strengthens David to face Goliath. So we may also be um, in places, right, where we are tired and weak and needing strength. And, and again, sometimes it's easy just to think that the circumstance needs to change or or, or um, we just need to be rescued. But, but often what we might just simply need is strength to sustain, strength to flourish, strength to face. And we look at ourselves and we don't have that strength. Or we look at the challenge ahead and we don't have the adequate resources. And, and when I'm in that place, it's overwhelming. Uh, if, if, if we're trying to face something that's difficult and there's a recognition that I don't have enough to face it, well, what do we do? Like, if that's where it ends, there, there's not much hope. But if from that place, we can look at God and see that God is bigger, God has power, He has strength, and He can lift us up and renew us, when that becomes our vision, there's actually an ability, uh, there's actually strength to, to go beyond our own human abilities and resources. And actually, it's when we sometimes get to the end of our ability and resources, we recognize, actually, we need His and we recognize, well, actually, he's got more than enough to strengthen us. So this is an invitation to find strength in God and not in ourselves. And I'm kind of doing this diagram today that, that as we praise and sing and enjoy God, and we recognize his great worth above everything else, and as we're in this right relationship with him and our mind is on him, um, what, what tends to happen, and I mean, sometimes it's still a struggle and they may need to be wrestled, but ultimately that we have this sense of being renewed in his presence and, and we have renewed strength and, and renewed hope and that that's even possible in old age. It's so interesting that this psalm emphasizes that, that, that people can 
bear fruit, stay fresh and green, have strength, have energy, have vitality, even in old age. The point, I think, is that, again, God is not limited by human strength. Old age is a picture of increasing human weakness. And what this is saying is someone who's experiencing increasing human weakness, but their strength doesn't come from human strength, it comes from God, can find strength in the midst of that. And it's interesting because, um, like, I, I think yeah, a lot of this is relevant um, to the oldies here, here this morning, this, this psalm, it's relevant to all of us, but, but particularly, I think, um, yeah, to some of the oldies, and particularly, I think, if, if you're finding things really difficult at the moment and not finding strength, or perhaps are feeling like you're finished and, and God's done, or God doesn't need, you can't really be of use anymore. If you sort of say that, if you say, God can't really use me now because I'm old and, and, and weak, um, it's an interesting thing to say because it's really saying that God can't use me because of human weakness. And that's exactly the place that God uses people, <laughs> in human weakness. If we say God can't work through me because I am weak, it's saying, it's assuming that God works through people based on their human strength. When God works through people based on their human weakness, <laughs> God works through people in His power. And actually there's an invitation to be dependent on God and planted in Him and not to write yourself off no matter what weakness you face. I think that's true for the oldest, but it's true for the young as well. There's, there's encouragements in, in the Bible to not let youth disqualify someone or think that the youth are too inexperienced or, or um, unqualified to be used by God. But then again, that's saying that to be used by God, you need to have certain human abilities and capabilities and experience. But no, all you need is God. <laughs> all you need is to be dependent and open to Him, whether young or old, and He can work. And what we see then is that the, the goal of that, though, and the goal of this being in a place of freshness and strength and vitality is not just for our own sake. It's not that we, we praise God so that we can just gain some strength to keep going, though we may need it. But actually, what we see in the end of this psalm, in verse 15, is that it says to declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. The ultimate result of all of this is that it goes back to praise. That actually from praising God and from recognizing him and enjoying him and experiencing renewal, that puts us in a place that is actually showing that he's good. <laughs> it's actually showing that he's at work, that he's real, that he's faithful. Um, the confidence, the vitality, even as this psalm says in old age, is to show that God is great, that God is good. Um, and there's a particular emphasis, I think, in this psalm on people who are older, mature believers, that they have a tried and tested faith, have been through struggles and trials and difficulties, and if towards the end of your life you can get up and confidently say, God is good, He is upright, he is my rock. He has been with me. He is faithful. That is powerful. Even as Margaret did today. is so, so awesome. And I think there's an invitation here to um, yeah, the older people in our congregation that, that you have an authority and maybe even a call of God 
in maybe you don't feel like you can necessarily do much physical things for God. That's okay. But what you can do is testify that God is good, that God is faithful, that He has been with me. And it's actually something that we need to hear. Younger people need to hear that. Um, it's different, and this sort of testimony is different coming from someone younger, someone who hasn't really faced much difficulty, who haven't, hasn't faced much suffering. We can still say God is, is good, and it's still important, but there's a greater authority um, in being able to do that, um, I, I, I think really at the end, to, towards, towards the eight, later years and, and towards the end. And I just want to say that, um, like as Margaret shared today, was so great, and we need more testimonies from people who have faithfully followed Jesus. And if that's all the testimony is, is to say, I've served God for this many years, and, it's, and, and there's been ups and downs, but I can confidently say, He is good, He is faithful, He is upright. That is powerful, and it's something that we actually need to hear. And it's so important because I think younger people need to think, well, what is actually our vision of the future? What do we want to be like when we're in our 80s? Is the focus that we will have this much wealth or this much success or, or this much impact? Or is the focus that we want to be in a place where we can confidently say, God has been with us. He is faithful. He is good. And actually, we're sustained and experiencing His presence even in old age. I think this is the, the, the goal that, um, that we praise Him and enjoy Him recognize his worth, find his strength, and that leads to more praise and ultimately can get into this cycle of praise that is actually what we're really invited into, is to, is to enjoy God, receive the strength and the benefit that comes from enjoying him, and that leads to enjoying him more and to thanking him more. And it's actually like, like when you go to, to the beach and enjoy the beach and, and, or enjoy a beautiful sunset. It's, it, it's an enjoyable experience, but then telling other people about it is also an enjoyable experience. Just the act of saying, how beautiful is this? That's praise, and it's actually enjoyable. And this is what we're called to, actually see God, enjoy God, but then even enjoy praising God and telling God and telling other people how good God is. So this is a cycle we can be invited into. I just thought it'd be interesting, just as we finish, though, to, to kind of just think, what would the opposite of this look like? Uh, the opposite of living in praise and joy in God. And this is uh, pre pretty extreme, but just literally, effectively the opposite. It would look like this. Effectively to disregard, criticize, or dislike God. Right. The opposite of enjoying God is just to not like Him, to not enjoy Him. If we do that, then it's probably likely that you'll see everything else is more important than Him. Anything else would be more important than him or more enjoyable or more desirable and just make the most of, of life because it's all there is. And if that's the case, then we only experience life with human strength and human resources, which ultimately will fail increasingly with age, which may lead to frustration and, and blame back onto God. And it's this negative cycle, obviously. And I think... Um, we, I mean, they're pretty extreme words, uh, but I think subtly sometimes we can get pulled in into that cycle instead. Maybe when, when even being pulled into work or, or pulled into difficulties and, and trials and, and we're not in a place of praising God and we kind of just forget Him and, 
And then maybe we just try to find anything else that's enjoyable and, satisfi- enjoyable and satisfying to sort of help the, the pain. And then we kind of just start to get overwhelmed with life because all we've got is our resources and they're not enough. And, and then at least the frustration. And, and there's an invitation, though, to, to break that cycle. And I think the invitation, really, is that this song is, psalm is a song for the Sabbath. And, and the, the Sabbath is a day where you break that cycle, right? Like it's easy to get into the week. It's easy to, to subtly forget God. It's easy to think that we're at the center and we need to make things happen. But the Sabbath is a time to stop, to rest, to remember that actually we're not the center. He is. It's actually a place to, to worship and come back to that place and re-engage and try to get into this praise cycle of enjoying and, and, and celebrating and experiencing God in a way that could then snowball into the week. So we need Psalm 92. Um, we need to sing it on, on the Sabbath, and now we've got an awesome song to sing it to, which, which is so cool. And um, we need to find strength in Him. So as we respond today, we, we're going to sing this song again, and let's really encourage you to sing it from a place of enjoying God and, and praising God, and, and sing it from a place of recognizing His worth and seeking to find strength in Him. Um, after the service as well, we'll just have a time to respond like we've been doing. And um, yeah, particularly if you'd like prayer for, for anything, but particularly if you need prayer for something from today. Uh, if, if you're not feeling like you have the strength from the Lord or you're not feeling like that you can enjoy Him and would like someone to pray for you, um, please come forward. Um, Janelle and Greg are going to be available to pray and I'll be down here as well. You might like prayer for anything at all. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to sing and, and respond and, and praise um, on the Sabbath, um, yeah, as we finish.